Hey, this is Kaylee. I'm Gracie. And this is Sinister Sofa Talks. So we are finishing up part two of Don Henry and Kevin Ives' case. It is a little different today because we do not have Gracie with us. She is catching up on homework and life is just kind of kicking our ass at the moment, which is why we're late on our Virgos, but that is okay. We're getting it done. So our special guest today is my husband, Dom. Hi. They can't see you. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we're going to finish up by talking about the possible police connections, a little bit more on Malik. Uh, Dan Harmon, and then any of the further developments. So we're just going to jump right into it. So a witness using the name of Jerry had come forward to say that he was sitting in a convenience store parking lot the night of August 22nd, 23rd, 1987, so the night of the murders, and he saw three teenage boys, one on a motorcycle, hanging out by the store, and he believed smoking pot. According to this Jerry, a police car rolled by, and the boy on the motorcycle took off, and then the two officers ended up, quote-unquote, beating the shit out of the two remaining boys before throwing them in the back of the police vehicle. When Jerry went to the authorities with his story, he was jailed for outstanding child support. After being released from jail 90 days later, with a suggestion to leave town, Jerry picked up and departed for parts unknown. Another witness, this one named Ron, had been at a club on Saturday night, so August 22nd. He was driving home sometime after 12.30 a.m. or 1 o'clock when he noticed a vehicle he took to be an undercover police car around the area of the convenience store that Jerry had also mentioned. Ron claimed that he saw a young man that fit Don Henry's description being beaten by two officers. He couldn't describe the second boy as his head was down, but both were thrown into the back of the vehicle and the car eventually headed down what Ron knew to be a dead-end road. As he had been drinking at the club, Ron pulled his car over to wait for the police vehicle to pull out and go on its way, so he recalled it being like 15 to 20 minutes before the car returned. And then um, he couldn't tell if either or both of the boys were still in the back seat. So two police officers were specifically named as suspects by witnesses and tipsters. Those two officers sued for defamation and lost their case. So one of the officers later went to prison on drug-related charges, and then the other eventually became police chief and head of the drug agency. Wait, so they lost their case, but they... So they, they lost did. their case for defamation because they were saying people are spreading farces, farces about me. So, but they they lost their case. Both of them lost their case. Yeah. But then the one guy went off to be police chief, and the other guy just went to jail on drug related charges. Yeah. So something completely but then, unrelated. But then, not necessarily, because in the first part, they thought that the boys had died due to them happening upon like a drug drop or something like that so drugs is very they're marijuana cigarettes yeah they're marijuanas okay so on september 10th 
1991, Dr. Malik actually resigned from his position as the medical examiner for Arkansas after holding the position since 1979, and obviously years of questionable action. That included labeling a gunshot victim with five shots to the chest to suicide, testifying erroneously in criminal cases, mixing up tissue samples and DNA, and falsely accusing a deputy county coroner of killing someone when he misread a chart, among everything else that he had done in this case. So not doing all the testing he was supposed to do with the boys, saying that they smoked 20 marijuana cigarettes when really they shared one joint. So just your grade A average dipshit. Yeah, he's not my favorite. (laughs) So once Malik had resigned, it came out that when the grand jury had overruled his findings in the Ives-Henry case, then-Governor Bill Clinton hired two out-of-state pathologists to review Malik's findings. He also did this using his discretionary fund to cover the $20,000 cost. The two pathologists, in opposition to the doctors hired by Prosecutor Garrett, gave Malik high marks and suggested that he be given a raise. Clinton and his board decided not to review Malik's files and cases and instead sent a proposal to the legislature to give Malik a 41.5% increase in salary to $117,875, which that's a lot even now, but back then that's quite a bit. Because this was the mid-80s or late 80s? Mm -hmm. So he was in his position from 79 to 90, what did I just say, 91? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, 91. So that's that's a shit ton of money. Clinton had also elected not to fire Malik despite four years worth of complaints about his practices. Malik had also allegedly protected Clinton's mother, a nurse anesthesiologist, from potential charge of negligence and malpractice in autopsies performed on two patients under her care. Following his recognition, it's starting. <laughs> <laughs> recognition. Following his re- re- resignation, resignation. Oh, resignation. Yeah, okay, that one. As medical examiner, I was doing so good up to that point. Malik was hired at the health department as a consultant on sexually transmitted diseases for 70000 a year. So, took a little pay cut, but that's even still a lot. But he went from 100 and, what was that, 146? 117 oh, to 70. 117 to 70? Mm-hmm. That is a big pay cut. 70 still a lot back then, though. Yeah. Let's see. It had also been discovered that when the previous medical examiner had retired, Malik, who had been working as his assistant, took over the role without proper medical credentials or qualifications to do so. He eventually died in Florida in 2018. Let's move on to the attorney, Dan Harmon. The attorney for the boys or for... He was the one that had reached out to the family. He kind of came out of nowhere and kind of helped them in getting the police to investigate it as a homicide. So he was the one that kind of came out of nowhere. So as the years rolled on, Don and Kevin's case remained unsolved, but the rumors continued and law enforcement appeared to some to be unconcerned about bringing closure to the case. Attorney Dan Harmon, who had reached out to the Ives and Henry families to broker some sort of assistance, ran into his own legal troubles. As early as March of 1990, he was reportedly linked to illegal drug activity. 
In June of 1991, U.S. Attorney Chuck Banks held a press conference to publicly clear Harmon and other Saline County officials of drug-related misconduct. One rumor was that Banks was blackmailed into shutting down any kind of investigation due to Harmon having tapes of sexual encounters by Banks with prostitutes. Harmon had also allegedly been facing seven counts of income tax evasion. Several months after Banks held his press conference, he received a federal judgeship nomination by then-President George Bush. He never received his judgeship, as all Bush nominations were withdrawn when Bill Clinton won the presidency, so he never actually got it. And then in 1993, Linda Ives was contacted by a young man. So Linda Ives was the mother, one of the boys, was contacted by a young man who was 12 or 13 years old in 1987 when her son was killed. He told Linda that he had been out that night with friends around the railroad tracks and upon seeing lights had hidden in some bushes. He claimed to have seen Dan Harmon on the tracks involved in killing Kevin and Don. He personally knew Harmon as Harmon had actually dated his mother. The authorities chose to give his tale little merit even though he passed two lie detector tests and was put in the witness protection program. So he is saying Dan Harmon was actually the one responsible for killing the boys when Dan Harmon was the one helping the families. So that would kind of explain why he came out of left field. Like he came out of basically nowhere. Sort of trying to cover his own Yeah. Possibly. But isn't there, I mean, what's the what's the term where you have so many years to come forward about something, otherwise you just kind of throw it by the wayside? I don't know that there's any... Call it five years to come forward about something, otherwise they just deem it... Um, I don't know if there's any statute of limitations yeah, on stuff like thinking. this. I mean, there is with sexual assault, but like, I don't know if there is murder. with, yeah, no with murder. I don't think there's a statute of limitations on murder. So, also in 1993, a witness by the name of Charlene Wilson came forward to accuse Harmon in the murders of Kevin and Don. She claimed that not only Harmon, but Keith McCaskill, so the man that was murdered, that we learned about, in, well, one of the many that was murdered in the first episode, and a man by the name of Larry Rochelle were involved in the deaths of Kevin Ives and Don Henry as well. She said that she believed Kevin and Don were curious about the drug drop drug drop site and were caught. In her first statement, she claimed to have been high on coke and meth and only witnessed the boys being killed. But in a follow-up statement, she claimed that under pressure from Harmon and high on coke and meth, she actually stabbed one of the boys with her own knife, but only a shallow superficial wound. She also brought up the long forgotten green tarp, which she said came from her own car. Shortly after providing her statement, Wilson was busted on a drug charge and prosecuted by none other than Dan Harmon. Despite it being a first-time drug offender charge, she was given a 31-year sentence. The sentence was eventually reduced by Governor Mike Huckabee, which allowed her to be paroled. Wilson had signed a statement in front of three law enforcement officers in 1993, and yet her accusation was buried in the case file until 2015. And then in early 1994, a pilot claimed to have flown a drug drop to the location that Kevin and Don were murdered at. So then by November of 1996, when Harmon was the Saline County prosecutor, his then wife was caught out of Harmon's jurisdiction with cocaine packages 
from the district's evidence locker. So there's just like a bunch of shit just happening. It seems interesting that just random people come out of woodworks probably years after. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, I'm a pilot and I did a drug drop there, but you know, don't worry about what I was. What don't worry about what I was doing. Yeah. And it's possible because it was years later that maybe now they feel safe to come out. Because everyone that was coming out right at that time was being murdered, suicide, whatever they want to call it, but was being murdered. So They were being suicided. They were being suicided, yes. So then that same year, so 1996, Harmon was driven out of office, resigning as part of a plea deal he took after beating a reporter from the Arkansas Democrat Gazette who had asked him for a comment. He just, like, beat the shit out of him for asking. Probably deserved it. Nobody deserves that. (laughs) So, well, some people do, but he probably didn't. Harmon probably deserves to get his ass beat. He didn't get his ass beat. The reporter got his ass beat. I know, but Harmon probably deserves to get his ass beat. So then, in April of 1997, a federal grand jury indicted Harmon with racketeering, dealing in cocaine, manufacture of methamphetamine, extortion, witness tampering, and retaliating against an informant. Two other men, a local attorney, and the administrator of the drug task force were also charged in this scheme. Harmon was convicted on five counts. So the racketeering, three extortion conspiracies, and one marijuana distribution charge. So that marijuana came back to bite him in the butt. He was sentenced to eight years. That's it. So that lady, her very first drug count was sentenced to 31 years. And he has all of these and he's sentenced to eight. With an additional three tacked on for the drug charges. So 11. 11 years. That's it. Get out in three. That's good some, behavior. That's some justice right there. So once Harmon was sentenced, stories began to leak out. Some 900 criminal cases in Saline County had been dropped because Harmon, as then prosecutor, did not bring the cases within the legal statutory time of one year. So he would just let these cases sit and sit and sit. So then they had to be dropped because he wasn't following the law on them. Persons facing drug charges stated that Harmon demanded money in exchange for charges against them being dropped. So like bribery. One woman claimed that Harmon offered to drop charges against her husband if she would have sex with him. Harmon had been arrested previously and had not only refused to take drug tests when arrested, but had attempted to flee during one stop. He boasted of having physically struck another lawyer in front of a judge and faced no consequences. He was accused of battery by several women, including his ex-wife, who claimed that he had not only physically assaulted her, but had threatened her with death. All around good guy. Yeah. At every step, it appeared that Dan Harmon was protected, whether it be by judges, police, or the Committee on Professional Conduct, who did not revoke Harmon's license when he refused mandatory drug testing upon arrest. Then in 1999, so two years, it took them two years to disbar Harmon. Sounds like a TV show. I know. And then in 2006, he was released from prison after assisting prosecutors in a murder conspiracy case. So because he helped them, they released him early. In 2008, unbelievably, Harmon was again working for Saline County and on their payroll, organizing files for the circuit court. But he was still disbarred. But he was disbarred, yes. And had all of these charges now on him. Like, in today's world, that would never happen. You would never be allowed to then go work at the county with felony or even misdemeanor probably charges 
You know? You'd hope not, anyway. I don't think so. So then in February of 2010, he was charged once again following a six-month drug investigation for selling morphine and hydrocodone near a school. The prosecution's case was weak as the only testimony against Harmon was that of an admitted drug user, so he was ultimately acquitted. Then two years earlier, Harmon had told a reporter that he used drugs and deserved to go to jail for that, but blamed his downfall on women. <laughs> Classy man. <laughs> <laughs> blamed his downfall on women. Yeah. And other he, people, but he specifically said women. Yeah. I mean, other than when he put the, you know, stabby, messy woman in, in yeah. prison. Yeah. Okay, so now we're going to get into the further developments of this case. So a little... Like more recently. recent. Yep, a little more recent. So in 2016, Linda Ives, so mother, filed a civil suit citing a Freedom of Information Act violation against multiple agencies, including the CIA, FBI, and the Bryant Police Department. Miss Ives' action alleged a cover up in her son's death. Over a year later, so November of 2017, a federal judge ordered three defendants in the suit, so the Executive Office of the U.S. Attorneys, the Drug Enforcement Administration, and the Department of Homeland Security to turn over documents for private review that had formerly been redacted. The same judge dismissed several agencies from the suit, including the CIA, the U.S. State Department, the FBI, the Arkansas State Police, the Saline County Sheriff's Department, and the Bryant Police Department. The suit was eventually dismissed in 2019. So, so she just, fought it for three years and then it was dismissed. Just one by one, they filtered people out. Yeah. I don't know what the CIA would have to do with the marijuana cigarette murders. Well, it wasn't just marijuana for the drops. It was pretty big drug drops. So. Yeah, that'd be more DEA. Yeah, I don't don't know how they got involved, but so then in February of 2018, formerly World Wrestling Federation or like WWE as we know it, wrestler Billy Jack Haynes recorded and released. Do you know who that is? Yeah. I have a picture of him. Him. Yeah, he kind of looks like, uh, I can't think of the wrestler's name, but yeah, I know who he is. So, Billy Jack Haynes recorded and released a video in which he claimed that while providing security for a drug trafficking drop in August of 1987, he had witnessed the murders of Kevin Ives and Don Henry. Haynes named six other people that were at the scene, including three law enforcement officers, two attorneys slash politicians, and a bouncer from a local club. So, he claimed the, the corruption in the state went to very high levels. The wrestler did. The wrestler did, yeah. That he was involved and he witnessed it. The wrestler was involved. He w- So he was providing security for the drop. For the drug drop. For the drug drop and he witnessed the murders, supposedly. So after decades of living with the guilt of what he had witnessed, Haynes said that a couple years ago he had actually contacted Larry and Linda Ives, so the parents of Kevin, and told them what he knew. They then connected with a private investigator, Keith Runcival, probably. And the video that Haynes released is a full confession of what he witnessed and an attempt to raise money through a GoFundMe campaign to help continue the investigation. 
but Haynes has been known to tell some pretty wild stories in the past and also been has been involved in suing the WWE in relation to a head trauma. He also claims that he suffered from depression and then showed signs of dementia. But pro wrestling does say that Haynes is not listed as having worked for the WWE live events for the night in question. And then he also worked a couple nights later at a TV taping in San Francisco. So at least on that front, like the story holds up, like he wasn't working that night. So sure, it's probable, I guess. So he took a break from fake beating people up. Yeah. Obviously, the murders of Kevin and Don still to this day remain unsolved. The Ives and Henry families have accepted that they will likely never get justice for their sons. Linda Ives still believes that the boys were killed after stumbling upon an illegal drug drug drop ordeal, but they have unfortunately had to and will have to continue to go through their lives and then death um, not knowing exactly what happened to their babies. That is the can't case. Get the, can't get the closure that they need. Yeah. So do they have a, like, is there any ideas as to actually who did it? Who Who was the one who sort of pulled the trigger? Um, that... I've never seen anything specific. I mean, the only thing close to is, like, that lady that was... The methy one? Mm-hmm. That's been the closest thing for someone to specifically say, me or so-and-so actually stabbed. But there's only ever been witnesses to who was there, not who done it. Not who, <laughs> not who done it. <laughs> yeah. I guess we'll never know who done it. No. I mean, obviously, the police were involved. That was very apparent. Yeah. It sounds like the police were running with the cartel or whoever it was to make... Well, yeah, it's not a coincidence that... I mean, sure, that one cop didn't make it out okay. He ended up getting arrested, but then the other one to be head of drug trafficking. I mean... Yeah. But like I said a little while ago, it, it sounds like a TV show that probably needs to come out on, you know... Yeah. A TV network. A TV network. I, I can't think of any. CW. I don't know. Starring Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds as who? <laughs> who would Ryan Reynolds play? Uh, one of the cops. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, silly fuck. So you can email us at sinistersofatalks at gmail dot com. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at sinistersofatalks. Please leave us a review and email us with any recommendations or your own cases that you'd like to see us cover. We would love to read your sinister stories, whether they are true crime, murder involved, spooky, or anything of that sort. Just put in the title line of your email sinister stories and what your zodiac sign is, and we will read those correlating to what zodiac dates we're currently in. Thank you so much for listening. Catch us on the next one. Mm -hmm.